If you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. I was just saying to Katie, who's one of the singers here this morning, the very with child one, that I feel such a difference between last week and this week, and I don't know whether that's me or you. Uh, I led uh, singing preacher last week, and um, yeah, I just sense such a unity and such a common vision, uh, common purpose, hearts uh, wanting to build uh, a demonstration of the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come to save sinners that he is the God-man who gave his life upon the cross as a substitute for us and has risen from the dead. And that's good news. And God wants to have groups of people on earth that we call the church, local churches, that are living in the good of that. And uh, just it's, it's wonderful to look out and see God doing that right here uh, and all across Sydney. And so I'm grateful that I get to be with you this morning. What I want to talk about this morning is pursuing God's active presence. Dave gives me all the tough topics. It's okay because I'm from out of town, out of, out of country. Um, a lot of confusion exists about the presence of God when we start talking about it. I've often heard people say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for churches will advertise for a worship leader who can lead them into God's presence. And I would say, no human being can lead you into God's presence. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And he's already done it. And our job is to believe him and trust him. But but I'm speaking specifically this morning about what happens when we gather. You know, God dwells in his people. He's promised to be with us. Christ has gained access to God through his blood into God's presence. Hebrews 10 19 through 22 says that we are to draw near with confidence because Jesus has has allowed his flesh to be torn so there's no more barrier between us and God and God makes his presence known in the preached word or as as we share the Lord's Supper and there's a danger I think in seeking to understand God's presence from a subjective standpoint you know the only time we speak about God's presence is, is, is when we're talking about something we can feel. Who did you feel that? I think that was God. Or, you know, God didn't show up until whatever. Yet, yet, having put out those caveats, there is an undeniable aspect of God's present that can be experienced. We see it throughout Scripture. When, when God makes His presence known in Acts 4, when the room was shaken after they prayed... Uh, there, there are times when uh, Jacob is, is, says, uh, surely God was here and I did not know it. Uh, when God says, no, I am here and I want you to know it. It's not his omnipresence. That means God is everywhere. That's not what we're talking about. God is everywhere. But sometimes he makes his presence known in a, dis- in a distinct way. It's not his promised presence which we accept, enjoy, and rejoice in whenever we gather, that God promises to be in the midst of his people. It's his active presence. It's how God's spirit works among us as we gather in ways that are evident, in ways that we can see and sometimes even feel. So I want to read a a portion of 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to be looking at what 
Paul says about the Spirit's activity among us. Because the Corinthians were all excited about the Spirit's activity among, the, among them. And Paul is actually being, bringing a corrective word. But today, we might not need a corrective word. We might need an encouraging word that these things can take place. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, and by the way, this is the most important thing I'll be saying this morning, these next 11 verses. So, let's listen. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's ask for God's help. Father, this is your word. This is your word. Breathe to us through Paul by your spirit. We thank you that you care for us in such a way that we don't have to wonder what you think about certain things. We, we know you tell us. And I ask that you help me to communicate clearly what's in your word here. And I I pray that you would help us all to have open ears, open hearts to all that we could learn this morning about you and about how you want us to seek your active presence and how all this is to be done for the glory of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I like to read historical biographies, and uh, not, well, I guess it was a number of years ago I read a biography by, uh, about a man named Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton, the book was by Ron Chernow, Ron, Hamilton never served as president, but he had greater impact uh, than many who did in our country. He was our first secretary of the treasury. He really established the financial system of the United States. And it was time when there was a lot of uh, different opinions about how that should be done. And as uh, you might know, we were trying to break away from the mother country, uh, the, the UK, England. And, um, and we were trying to figure things out on our own. So Hamilton really had unique gifts that kind of set the country in order. But he was a man of profound contradictions. He was both idolized and despised during and after his life. And still today, you'll find people who hate Alexander Hamilton. You'll find people who love him. He was a highly principled man, but he committed adultery for a year or two early on in his marriage. He ran the country's finances, 
But he left his wife, Eliza, and their eight children in serious debt when he died. He may have experienced a conversion before he died. A genuine conversion. He said before he died, and if you don't know the story, he died in a duel with Aaron Burr. Uh, and he, as he prepared for, for this time. He died a day or two after the duel. He said this shortly before he died, I have a tender reliance on the mercy of the Almighty through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I knew from the beginning of the book that Hamilton would be killed in a duel with Aaron Burr. But the book was written so well, and I I was so brought into Alexander Hamilton's life that on page 708, when he finally died, I felt like I had lost a personal friend. Yeah, I was so moved by, by just the whole situation. The way he died, he didn't have to die. It was tragic. And it, it was the situation where he was leaving his wife and children and debt. And, and it just seemed too short. Like he shouldn't have died. While reading the biography, Hamilton had come alive to me. I felt as though I knew him. Yet, since I finished the book, I've never heard Alexander Hamilton's voice. I've never expected him to walk into a room that I was currently in. I've never expected to encounter him in any way. And here's why. Hamilton lived 200 years ago. He's gone. He's dead. Actually, he lived 300 years ago. Yeah, 300 years ago. He's dead. I can't meet him. I can't encounter him except on a lifeless page. I wonder how many of us when it comes to knowing and worshiping God, approach Him like we do the subject of a biography. We read about Him on these pages, but He's distant. We learn about Him and what He did in the past, but we don't expect Him to show up and break into our present. We sing about God, we sing about Jesus, we sing about what He's done, but we don't exactly expect to encounter Him. We hear His Word, we read His Word, we hear His Word preached, but it's only facts and information on a life, from a lifeless page. The Bible is not the biography of a distant, absent, or dead Savior. He has risen from the dead. He is now living. Alexander Hamilton is dead. Jesus Christ is alive, which changes everything. Changes everything. Should change the way we think about our relationship with Jesus. He's not just out there somewhere. He comes to us by His Spirit. And though God's Word is utterly sufficient for all things pertaining to life and godliness, His presence and His power are not confined to it. Scripture reveals a God who is near, a God who is active, a God who breaks into the present, a God who can be encountered, a God we can experience. So when we gather together, our worship isn't only about God. It involves God. It's not only to and for God. It's where we encounter and experience God. 
And the one who enables us to experience and encounter the living Savior in the way I'm describing is God himself, the Holy Spirit. And what I want to speak of this morning, what I think this passage tells us is that when we gather, the Holy Spirit is actively present to empower us for the Savior's glory. When we gather, the Holy Spirit is actively present to empower us for the Savior's glory. Now, when we talk about God's active presence, we need to be careful because there are a lot of questions, there's a lot of concerns, there's a lot of confusion. And you know what? There was a lot of confusion in the Corinthian church too. So it's okay. They viewed particular manifestations of the Spirit, especially tongues, as proof of their spiritual maturity. And they used the gifts in a disorderly way, in a self-promoting way. So Paul writes to them to protect them from errors in their practice and in their theology. And that's my aim as well. I want to do what I can in these few minutes to seek to protect this church. And Dave's going to do a fine job. He's already doing a great job. By the way, I have stayed with Dave and Emma and their family. And I just, I have, I loved them before, but I just love them more now. They, you guys are just a joy to be with. I'm so grateful. You know, the church, when you come in to stay uh, for an extended time uh, with the church, they ask you, do you want to be in a hotel? Do you, want to, you know, so I said, no, I want to be with Dave and Emma. And I am so glad. The children are a delight. Emma serves constantly. I hope Dave picks up on that. Um, <laughs> maybe start serving a little himself. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. You do. You, you remind me of my wife, Emma. Uh, she, she is just a, a consummate servant. And you have, you have been that way. As I've you know, been the, it's the whole week. So anyway, that's just all to say. I, I respect and love this family. Um, So my hope is to do what I can to protect you from errors in doctrine and practice when it comes to pursuing the active presence of the Spirit. Because there are churches in Sydney, there are churches throughout the world that just just totally rule out this whole category. You know, would rather treat Jesus like Alexander Hamilton, someone we can read about, someone we can know about, but someone who doesn't actually ever do anything, you know, except in, in the obvious ways. You know, you... You share the gospel and someone's converted. And that's amazing. And that is the work of the Spirit. But, but beyond that, it's, we don't, they don't really expect anything. One of the questions that Paul was seeking to answer was one the Corinthians seemed to be asking. And that is, is it true that spiritual manifestations consistently determine who is really spiritual? So he begins by saying, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. They were wondering, now who are the really spiritual people? Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. He says, I want you to know that spirituality has nothing to do with our understanding of spiritual gifts or our practice of spiritual gifts. What spiritual maturity has to do with is our understanding of and relationship to Christ. Not certain gifts. The main work of the Spirit is to bring about regeneration. So that's why he says in verse 3, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The greatest work of the Holy Spirit is bringing dead people to life. That's the greatest work. 
And may that always be the greatest work in our hearts and minds. When, when something else becomes a greater work, we get distracted from God's purpose for why Jesus came. Jesus came to raise dead people, to forgive sinful people, to bring rebels into the Father's family. And that's amazing. So that's what Paul's saying. No one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit of God. He also makes it clear that whatever manifestation of the Spirit we're talking about, those gifts have a purpose and we're to use them in love and we're to use them to build those around us up. But in spite of their fanaticism and their errant practices, Paul doesn't tell them to stop seeking manifestations of the Spirit. He doesn't say, enough of that already. Just calm down. Just be a normal church. Just like bring it in. Just, just, just come and sing and talk about the Bible and then go home. You guys are just causing too much problems, too many problems in Corinth. Just stop it. He doesn't do that. It's, 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 it's amazing. Instead, he encourages them to value what is truly spiritual and to continue seeking evidences of the Spirit's active presence. So he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts earnestly desire to prophesy. This is over in chapter 14. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. You know, that would not be my counsel if I came upon the church in Corinth. I mean, yeah, I want you all to speak in tongues. No! That's what they're doing. But his heart is, God's heart is, I don't want you to stop seeking these, these visible, evidential, experiential signs that God's Spirit is truly working among you. And what Paul's very clear on is that God doesn't want us to identify certain ones as the only way God's Spirit works. And he wants to open our eyes to the fact that God's Spirit works in many ways. That's why we read, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Varieties, varieties, varieties. Do you think he's trying to make a point? They're different. Don't try and lock everything into one practice. They're different. God speaks to us in different ways. At the end of his commentary in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, uh, the book Showing the Spirit, D.A. Carson shares a thought that I think is relevant to us and how we approach this topic. We must desire to know more of God's presence in our lives and pray for a display of unleashed, reforming, revivifying power among us, dreading all steps that aim to domesticate God. That's what we were doing this morning. God, move. God, move. In our church, the churches in Sydney, across Australia, show us that you are God and you alone. But, Such prayer and hunger must always be tempered with joyful submission to the constraints of biblical discipline. And that's where we get off. I shared last night at Twist, you see, we seem to have two kinds of churches in Sydney. You know, the the, the kind that preaches the Word of God faithfully, preaches the Gospel faithfully, is, is tethered to the Word of God. And then the other kind of church that is like passionate, emotional, full of life, vision, vitality, 
And what a lot of people do is they go to this church in the morning and they go to this church at night. And I want to ask the question, why do we have to make people make that choice? Why can't there be more churches, and I believe this can be one, more churches where the Word and the Spirit go together. And, and we want to avoid errant practices, but we don't want to cross, we don't want to negate passion and vitality and life and vision because those things can be of God. But they're always tethered to the Word. They're always bound by biblical constraints and we want to remain faithful to the Word. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be trying to walk that narrow line this morning between these two because it's not really a line. God wants us to do both. Embrace both. Amen to biblical constraints. But in our attempts to prevent error, we must not negate experience. So that's what I want to focus on this morning, the experiential aspect of God's presence, and seek to answer this question. If the Holy Spirit is actively present when we gather to empower us for the Savior's glory, what kind of heart does God want us to cultivate so that we can be aware of and respond to what He's doing? So if God is really among us to empower us as as we sing and as we we hear the word, what kind of heart should we cultivate so that we can be aware of that and respond to it? So I'm going to talk about three things. First attitude we want to have is desperate dependence. We today in Sydney... And the Corinthians need the Spirit of God in our worship of God. The word charisma, which is spiritual gift, used in verse 4 and verse 9, there are varieties of gifts. And then in 9, when he says, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. The word charisma can be translated grace gift. They're gifts of grace, and we're not the source. And actually, that word... Charisma in the New Testament is not confined to a list we see in 1 Corinthians 12 or over in Romans 12 or Ephesians 4. It describes such things as eternal life. Romans 6.23, God says that eternal life is a charisma. So we shouldn't try to so narrow the gifts down that we only think of prophecy, tongues, healing, you know, those kinds of things. The gifts of the Spirit are broad and they are varied. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have some. And there's no doubt that God wants you to have more. And the question is, what do we do with them? And here I'm asking the question, are we even aware that they are gifts and not just things that we came up with ourselves? A charisma is a grace gift. The Corinthians, like us, were utterly dependent on the Spirit working in them to produce these manifestations of the Spirit. They couldn't work them up themselves. They could do things, but they wouldn't have any life in them. The Spirit gives life. We're often like that and we don't even know it because it's so difficult to acknowledge our desperate dependence on God. I mean, really, all of us come this morning, we got up ourselves probably and came in the car and here we are and I'm thinking, that's fine. I I did that. I I did it all all, all on my own. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. If the Spirit did not enable you to do that, you couldn't have done that. I went through a season of my life where I, I kind of had a mental breakdown in the mid-90s. And, and it was horrible. Uh, but through that time, 
I learned how dependent I was on God. And that's, I became so thankful that I, that I saw that. I can still forget. But I, I went through it this, this, during this season. I, I remember waking up. I, I thought my life was completely hopeless. And, and that, that was the first thought I had. And I just thought, what, what, do I, what do I have to do next? I have to get out of bed. Can I get out of bed? Yeah, I can, okay, I can get out of bed. What's the next? Okay, I've I, I got to go take a shower. Okay, can I do that? Yeah, okay, I can do that. Just every step, every moment of my life, I just, I wondered if I could do it, if I could do it. And I've known people who've had the same experience. What that creates is this, this awareness that we need God to do everything. We are dependent on Him. We tend towards self-sufficiency. It's this idea that I've got everything under control. So I'm good. I'm good to go. We just find it easier to rely on our own experiences, our own knowledge, our own resources. In actuality, we are desperately dependent. And when we come to the gathering of God's people, we should be aware we are desperately dependent for Him to move, for Him to work, for Him to open people's eyes, for Him to produce any kind of fruit from what we do. Because you know what? We can come here week after week after week and absolutely nothing happen. We just come in. You know what happens to a church like that? It dies. It dies. And, and there have been churches like that. that it just died. Because no one's been desperately dependent. No one's looked to God for aid, for help, for power. A few years back, I had a, a, uh, a back problem. And uh, I thought it was really, really serious. So I went to the doctor and he said, garden variety back strain. Which was really hurtful to me. <laughs> because I just didn't expect him to say that. I thought, yeah, oh, this is one of the worst cases I've ever seen. Just the vertebrae are all messed up. You've got pinched nerves. You got. And he said it so condescendingly. Garden variety back strain. Okay, here. So during that time, what made me think it was so serious is I was sitting in a chair... And I couldn't get up. I couldn't get out of the chair. And so I, I had to, and I was down in the basement. We have nice basements in America. I've heard you, your basements here aren't that great. Okay. Anyway, it was a nice basement. Um, and I was in this chair, door closed, and I couldn't, no, I couldn't call anybody. So there I was, I just sat in the chair, I couldn't get out. So I had to like roll out of the chair onto the floor. It was very embarrassing. I don't even know why I'm telling you this story. I'm telling you this story because it was a time in my life when I realized I need help. So, you know, you, you need your wife to help you dress you and stuff. It's just, I imagine I'll get there eventually. But it was a little early for that to happen. So, but that, that's, that's what we need to do when we're desperately dependent. We need to ask for help. It's, it's embarrassing. We're saying we actually need someone to help us. Well, yes, we need someone to help us. We need God to help us. That's why we're commanded to pray in the Spirit, to pray by the Spirit, to pray for the Spirit's working. Because the Spirit not only empowers us, the Spirit stirs us to pray. He enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. We know God as our Father. That's a work of the Spirit too. So whenever we feel an impulse to pray, we should do it. That's the Spirit helping us. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, says in Romans 8. He helps us to pray. Prayer is a sign that we are desperately dependent on God. So the question I want to ask you is, are you aware of your weakness? 
you know, oftentimes we grow the most in our weakest seasons. It's not in the successful seasons, the prosperous seasons, that we experience, you know, this incredible spiritual growth. It's, it's when a spouse leaves or when a child dies or when you lose your job. Or those kinds of things. Or you find out you have a terminal disease or or a really serious disease. And then your faith becomes real. You realize God is real. He is sovereign. He is a provider. He is near. But why did that happen? Because you you became desperately dependent. You, you, You realized you were weak. A man named Graham Harrison wrote a book, wrote an article on the internet, Worship in the Presence of God. And what was so interesting to me was that this was on the Banner of Truth uh, internet site, which is, would not be a big fan of what I'm talking about this morning. But this is what he said. There can be no substitute for that manifested presence of God, which is always a biblical possibility for the people of God. When it is not being experienced, they should humbly seek Him for it. Not neglecting their ongoing duties, duties, absolutely. Not denying their present blessings, absolutely. But recognizing that there is always infinitely more with their God and Father who desires fellowship with those redeemed by the blood of His Son and regenerated by the work of His Spirit. There is always infinitely more. There is always infinitely more. So may we never get to the place where we feel that as a church we have arrived. We're the epitome of everything the church should be. So we don't need to pray anymore. We're not dependent. We're successful. May that never happen in this church. Do we pray before and during the meetings? You know, prayer isn't just something we, we just check off as, as we do a prayer. Got it. Prayer, yeah. It is an encounter with the living God. Do we pray that our hearts and ears will be open, that we'll be responsive, that God will change lives as we gather, that He will renew minds, that He'll expose lies we've believed in and idols we've been worshiping? Maybe it's the sin you've been trying to overcome. God could meet you right here in this meeting on a Sunday, unexpectedly. But you want to be aware that you actually need to be helped and that God can do it. So that's desperate dependence. Second quality we want to cultivate is eager expectation. Eager expectation. Paul says there are a variety of gifts and workings, but the same Spirit empowers them all in everyone. To each, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What's a manifestation? A manifestation has a discernibly dynamic dimension. It's something that you can see, something that you can experience. That that means God is saying, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That means when we gather, God's Spirit is seeking to work through each of us. Our meetings are not just about the people up here. It's about all of us. And God's Spirit working through each one of us. David Pryor, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, says, The most important truth here stressed is that individual Christians are intended to demonstrate that they have the Spirit of God within them. 
He intends to make himself felt and known through his gifts as well as by his fruit. Often, the reason for the church's lack of credibility as the community of the Holy Spirit lies precisely here. Many Christians do not or cannot manifest their distinctive gifts in the life of their local church. Paul is adamant that to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. That refrain runs through the chapter like a theme in a symphony. The Christian community is the community of the Holy Spirit, of the living God. That's exciting. That should build our faith. Not for some strange experience or not for some amazing musical performance, but that the Spirit actually wants to work through each one of us to change lives. What a gift. God tells us the Spirit Spirit sovereignly empowers each one individually as He wills. So we can't orchestrate exactly how God's Spirit's going to work, but we can be ready for it. We can expect it. We can yearn for it. We can want it to happen. And, And trusting in God's sovereignty, by the way, doesn't negate what I'm saying here. We believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe that Scripture teaches that God is sovereign over all things, that He ordains all things, that His plans cannot be thwarted. But believing in God's sovereignty doesn't mean there's no reason to think He won't move in miraculous ways. Look at the example of the early church. This is in Acts 4, starting in verse 27. For truly in this city, this is the, the disciples praying, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They were very sure of God's sovereignty. They knew that God was in control. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Isn't that wonderful? God, we believe you're absolutely sovereign, that you ordain everything now. As we go out to speak, to proclaim the name of Jesus, do amazing things. Work through us. As we gather here, we're just ordinary people. It's just us. God, do amazing things. Work in us. Work through us. As we speak to a guest, may may you use us to communicate your care for them, your love for them, your truth to them. May they come to know you. God, you can do it. Do we expect that? Do we expect that God will do anything than what He's done the last few weeks or the last year? He wants to. He will always be wanting to do more than we can ask or imagine through the power that is at work within us, Ephesians 3 says. God's sovereignty is the foundation for expecting His active presence. So what does eager expectation look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like... um, you know, when you think you're going to get something really good for Christmas, but you don't know what you think you are. And it's that feeling of expectation. And you just, oh, I, I think this, I think I'm getting it. I think it's good. It's just, it's joy. There's joy in it. 
It's not boring. It's not, the, the expectation is almost as good as getting the thing. It's, it's just that, that yearning that, oh, this is, this is going to happen. So it means listening. It means watching. Listening and watching for the Spirit's leadings and promptings. It's like waiting for a good friend to arrive. You're, you're sitting in your house and you're, you're, there's someone special that's going to be visiting. Maybe it's a holiday and uh, they're, they're coming. And so you're waiting to hear the sound of the car. You're waiting to hear the, the door it's open and, and shut and uh, you, you, the knock on the door. And you're, you're, you're just listening for those things. I think some of us listen not expecting to hear anything. You know, it's, it's kind of like if, um, you know, your, your, your daughter says, you know, she starts crying at night and you come in and say, what's wrong here? Says, There's a monster in the closet. Do you have closets here? Okay, just checking. I figured you did, but there's a monster in the closet. I said, no, dear, there's, there's no monster in the closet. You know, so, you, you, but, but we'll find out, okay? You know, kind of like, yeah, yeah, there's no monster in the closet. You open the door, ah! You know, and there is a monster. That'd be a surprise. So you're going over to check, but you don't really believe there's a monster in there. That's how a lot of us are with the Holy Spirit. I'm, you're hearing me preach. You're saying, I say, yeah, okay, expect good things. Expect great things. Yeah, okay, yeah, I expect them. But if like it actually happened, you go, ah! What was that? Well, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the thing you're supposed to be expecting, that, that the Holy Spirit will actually do things as we gather that are more than we could do ourselves. We don't want to be like that. We want to eagerly expect His work in our midst. So we want to make plans, but we don't want to be completely dependent on our plans. Our plans can be birthed by the Holy Spirit, but our plans are not the Holy Spirit. It's an important distinction. So whatever, in whatever ways you serve in the church... You might be certain. We want a plan. We want to be prepared. But don't assume that's all that God wants to do. I'll never forget the years I've worked with C.J. Mahaney. We, I was the, the music pastor in the uh, church that he led, Covenant Life, back in Gaithersburg, Maryland, where I'm from. And uh, I'll never forget, just time after time after time, we would talk about Sunday, what we were going to do. And, and as we were praying for the meeting, he would look at the pastors and say, and the musicians say, does anybody have a sense for, for what the Lord might do this morning? And, and you, know, you could say, well, well, why are you asking that? I mean, we've already, we've already planned it all. Hasn't the Lord already told us what he's doing? But there's that, there's that continued expectation that God might do something more. God might do something different. We don't know. So when you come to the meeting, what, what do you hope God will do in you? Do you have any expectation? What do you think he might do through you? Do you have any expectation? We want to have eager expectation. And finally, we want to cultivate an attitude of humble responsiveness. Desperate dependence, eager expectation, and humble responsiveness. Because the Corinthians were certainly responsive. The problem was it wasn't humble responsiveness. It was proud responsiveness. That someone would speak in tongues and they'd say, I'm more spiritual than you. You're obviously not spiritual. Do you speak in tongues? No? Okay. <laughs> say no more. Sit down. 
I speak in tongues. I have got the Spirit. And they were blind. They were blind to what the Spirit of God was doing. You know, this isn't very exciting, but these are gifts of the Spirit too. Leadership, administration, serving. Yeah, I'm thinking a lot of parents were wishing their kids would get the gift of the, the serving. Uh, that would be wonderful. That's a gift. It is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives. And there are more gifts than are listed in Scripture. Paul is just giving examples. He's given, given categories. These are, these are things the Holy Spirit does. Music's never mentioned as a gift. But I think that music is a gift from the Spirit that, that we can use to encourage others. Hospitality is a gift of the Spirit. So we want to have our eyes open to all the ways that the Spirit can work. So when the Spirit has worked, as I saw, as we were just mentioning with the Corinthians, people have often responded proudly. We view our gift as the best. We're offended if others don't receive our gift as authentic. You know, sometimes people will say, say for gift of prophecy, which is communicating an impression from the Lord, they'll begin by saying, God definitely told me to say this. Or they'll say, God definitely told me to do this. We think God uh, always reveals his presence in the same way. And it happens to be the way he reveals it through us. It's just what the Corinthians did. There's a reason that God tells us to test prophecy in 1 Thessalonians 5. It's because we don't always get it right. Gifts need to be tested. Just because we feel like we have a gift doesn't mean it's, it's in its final form. So gifts can be evaluated. We can, we can receive feedback for what we're doing. I remember in uh, Sovereign Grace over the years, early, earlier on, we had the unfortunate practice of, you know, when someone came up to, to share a thought, as the gentleman did earlier, um, that was a prophetic impression. I have a sense that some of us are, are dealing with this and I think the Lord wants to encourage us this way. We would, we would begin those comments with the phrase, thus says the Lord. Well, who's going to argue with that? No, he didn't. I don't think that's the Lord. Uh, you know, what do we want people to do? Well, here's what we should do is it's better to say something like, just as he did, I, I had this impression, I believe it's from the Lord. And so then we can test it and we can evaluate it. See, is, is that from the Lord? It doesn't make it any less from the Lord to share an impression in the third person rather than the first person. For about 15 years now, I've, uh, let's see, 15... Yeah, maybe 18. I've exercised what I believe is a gift of the Spirit. One gift of the Spirit. I don't think it's the only gift of the Spirit. I don't think it's the best gift of the Spirit. But I believe it is a gift of the Spirit. And that would be um, a prophetic song. I did one here last Sunday. It's where I just share an impression. I think this is from the Lord. I set it up and then it, it's, it's you know the Lord speaking to us. Um, it's an impression that God wants to give to say something to a specific group of people or situation or a person. Don't believe every word is from God. I don't believe these are heavenly melodies, you know, direct from the throne, just right to me. I just want to be faithful. I just want to be, I just want to be faithful to use the gifts uh, I believe God has given me. I don't believe that's the only gift he's given me. I believe there's one. I don't believe everybody should have that gift. Everybody who leaves music should have that gift. I don't believe that. But I've seen the fruit over and over and over and over again that, that makes me think, okay, I think this is the Lord doing this. I think this is God's active presence. Here's one example. A girl sent me a letter, an email. Her name was Carolyn. She's, she had been a Christian for 18 years. She was uh, going to an event we had back in the States called Celebration. 
three and a half days of, of teaching, singing, worshiping God in song. She grew up Roman Catholic, and she lived with condemnation in her life daily. She had heard about grace, but she was unaffected. And at that event, uh, CJ sensed that I might have a song for former Roman Catholics. And I'd given him permission to do that. So, so I sang a song, a spontaneous song, a prophetic song, for just communicating God's grace to those who... Because I grew up Roman Catholic. I know what that is. Um, uh, to those who might think that God, heaven could only be earned by our works and by our righteousness. So this is what she sent me. I wept and wailed during your entire song because the trouble you described, earning and deserving mentality, and all the rest hit the bullseye. I didn't know that my 22 years as a religious Catholic thinker had sealed off my understanding of the grace of God. God knew me, understood my never-ending circles of pain, and addressed, through your prophetic song, issues that no one but my Creator could have known. It is now five months later, and His grace continues to flow into my heart daily. I have an unspeakable joy. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that you, that can't be manufactured. It can't be predicted. It's the work of the Spirit. Because she had heard those words before. It was just at that moment God chose to break into her lives, confront them with the truth and with His fatherly care, and free her from that. Now, I've been the recipient of that as well. Prophetic words... I was at a, a, another celebration event. This was in Florida. And I had been, this was about nine years ago, eight years ago. And uh, I'd been, for, for a number of months, I'd been having these thoughts that I just couldn't go on doing what I was doing. I was just so tired. And I just thought, how, how can I keep doing this? Lord, how can, how can I keep serving in this way? I mean, I'm, all, I'm only in my late 40s. I'm, I'm going to give out. What? So those are the thoughts that I was kind of battling. So this 17-year-old girl comes up to me at the end of the meeting and says, I think, I think I have a word for you. She didn't know me. I, mean, I, hadn't, I hadn't met her. I said, I think I have a word for you. Is it okay if I share it? I said, oh, sure, that's okay. Not a great deal of expectation. <laughs> but, but among other things, she said this, <laughs> it still affects me. There have been times in your life when you were pouring yourself out so much, you tend to ask yourself, how much more? God, what's next? How much more can I give? I have nothing left. But God wants to encourage you that he wants to fill you up again. And then he, she just went on and just shared. And I just broke. <laughs> Break now. See, God... God demonstrated his love for us in sending his son. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. There's no greater demonstration of God's love than that. But by his spirit, he makes us aware in unique and ongoing and experiential ways that love is real. It's not just something we read about. It's real now. And, and when you know, you, you, you realize that God knows exactly what you've been thinking, and he sends someone, a 17-year-old girl, no less, in another state, another part of the country, sends someone to tell you, 
from the Lord. Okay, I know what you've been thinking, and I'm going to take care of you. <laughs> and you know what? Since then, I have not had those thoughts again. That's the power of God. It's the activity of the Spirit. Those are two examples. I could give you hundreds more, but we wouldn't have time. These don't replace abiding in God's Word, faith in God's Word, or submission to God's Word. These are gifts confirming God's active presence in our midst, and that their purpose is to strengthen, to encourage, and to build up. And every spiritual gift is meant to do that. So, if you have the gift of serving, your gift of serving is meant to have that kind of effect. If you have the gift of greeting, that gift is meant to have that kind of effect. If you have the gift of administration, if you have the gift of leadership, whatever gift you have, and and all of us have multiple gifts, whatever gifts you have, God wants to use them. But if we are not humbly responsive to, to the impressions that we get to serve in whatever ways God has called us to serve, it won't happen. It won't happen. That girl came up to me. She was just trying to be faithful. I sing something up here. I'm just trying to be faithful. I'm not trying to impress people, wow people. Wow, he can do spontaneous song. Who cares? I want to see people's lives changed, affected. I want to see people encouraged, strengthened, built up. No experience of God's Spirit acting today will ever be canonical or give us new doctrine or rise above Scripture in importance. And the Word of God will always be the main way that we encounter God as we meet. Which is why we sing the Word of God, we preach the Word of God, we read the Word of God. But that doesn't mean that the Spirit still doesn't speak to us with impressions. So how do we respond humbly? Should we all sing spontaneous songs? Please no. <laughs> what ways does God want to use you to bring glory to the Savior? There are countless ways you might already be serving. We see them here in 1 Corinthians 12. Some, some are listed. Utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, gift of faith, healing, workers of miracles. If you think you have that gift, please let Dave know. Um, and then there are other gifts in Romans 12 where we see you know, just some more common gifts. Uh, prophecy, service, serving, teaching, exhorting, just exhorting. Some people have the gift of encouragement. Where after you've been around them, you just, you just feel lifted up. You feel built up. You're encouraged. And it's, it happens every time you're with them. What is that? Are they just, they just friendly people? They, they probably have the gift of encouragement. And it's better if they realize they have the gift of the encouragement, gift of encouragement, and seek to use that gift for the good of the body. It might be for you sharing a scripture, walking down to this microphone and say, I, I think I have a scripture I want to share. You know, we have a microphone, we, have a, we meet in a big room, and um, people come down to the microphone, we call it a ministry mic, because you know, people might share a scripture or a prophetic impression. And, uh, you know, because it's so open, everybody can see what's happening. Uh, someone might come down and they share, and uh, you know, the pastor might say, "Well, that's a good word, but I think that's already been shared, or it's not quite fit now." And so, some people have defined or described what they do after that as the walk of shame, where it wasn't accepted, not good enough, loser, loser, loser. Okay, it is not the walk of shame. You know why? Because they were faithful. They were faithful. They humbly responded. 
Every time you humbly respond doesn't mean that your gift's going to cause the heavens to break open. People are going to fall down and say, yes, God's changed my life. It doesn't always happen that way. We just want to be humbly responsive. Just, I think the Lord wants me to do this. Well, do it. Do it, just do it. It might be sharing a spontaneous thought or impression with someone or a question. Hey, how are you doing in this situation? And you don't have to convince people that it's the Lord. If it is, they'll know. They'll know it's the Lord. As we're gathering, you know, even in the break, just, just, just offering a prayer right at the beginning. Lord, help me encourage someone today. So someone, you're standing there getting coffee or tea, and someone's next to you, hey, how are you doing? And all of a sudden, they start talking, talking to you, and it's like this stuff comes out, and you go, whoa, where'd that come from? That's the Holy Spirit working, working, using you. So often people say, we hear, hear them say something, and, uh, you know, it's a problem. They're going through a trial. And we'll say, I'll pray for you. Yeah, I'll pray for you. Walk away. You don't pray for them. You, you just never even think about it. And then you see them three months later, and they say, oh, that thing, you know, it's going so much better. Thanks so much for praying for me. And then you have a choice <laughs> whether you're going to just say, no, no problem. <laughs> or, or say, uh, <laughs> you know what? I really didn't pray for you. No. <laughs> And I've had to do that a couple of times. It's so awkward. So what I've tried to do instead is when someone says they have a problem, I pray right then. Pray right then. Don't wait. Pray right then. And pray with desperate dependence, eager expectation, humble responsiveness. Sometimes as I'm praying for someone, I'll get an impression from the Lord, what I believe is an impression from the Lord, and share that with them. So let's, let's be a people who are eager to see the activity of the Spirit in our lives. When we gather, the Holy Spirit is actively present to empower us for the Savior's glory. Gordon Fee, a theologian who I wouldn't agree with everything on, but that's okay, he probably doesn't care. In, in this area, uh, I think he nails it in his book, Paul, the Spirit and the People of God. A genuine recapturing of Paul's perspective will not isolate the Spirit in such a way that spiritual gifts and spirit phenomena take pride of place in the church, resulting in churches that are either charismatic or otherwise. Rather... A genuine recapturing of Paul's perspective will cause the church to be more vitally Trinitarian, not only in its theology, but in its life and spirituality as well. This will mean not the exaltation of the Spirit as such, but, on the, but the exaltation of God. And it will mean focus not on the Spirit as such, but on the Son, crucified and risen, Savior and Lord of all. So in bringing this message to you, I am not saying you need to think more and more and more and more and more about the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. No, because what the Spirit comes to do is to exalt Jesus. And every spiritual gift is given for the exaltation of Jesus Christ who came, incarnate man, left his throne, became a man, lived the perfect life that we could never live, suffered for our sins, died in our place, endured the wrath of God against us that we should have taken, bore our sins in his body on the tree, rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God and live for his glory. That's what the Spirit wants to draw attention to and that's why he is actively present in our midst. So I'm not concerned about whether people think I'm a charismatic or not. Charismatic has some bad connotations, bad associations. So what I tend to call myself is a continuationist. But one thing I want people to know is I don't believe that Jesus is dead and risen in the pages of Scripture alone. He is truly risen. He truly lives. He truly encounters us by His Spirit. And we don't want to see certain things as marks of spirituality. 
Oh, they have prophetic words there. Who knows? There might be a tongue here one day. Tongue and interpretation. Who knows? I, I don't know. That's not what makes us spiritual. What makes us spiritual is the fact that we are seeking to exalt Jesus as the Lord through the power of the Spirit, benefiting from His active presence in our midst, not taking for granted the fact that God actually is dwelling among His people when we gather. Isn't that amazing? I mean, really, none of us are special here. What's special is that Jesus Christ lives inside us and that He wants to work through us by His Spirit. When people visit our church, what will they see? A group of people who worship a God they only read about and never interact with and never speaks to them? Or will it be like 1 Corinthians 14? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. By God's grace, may people who are with Sovereign Grace Church of Sydney never fail to see that God is really among you, actively working, empowering, encouraging, convicting, building up, saving, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's our prayer. Father, we ask you to do that. And as we, as we sing, finish by singing, we... We pray that you would do more than we could ask or think, even as we sing. Work in our hearts. Open our eyes to see what you want to accomplish in us and through us. And do this for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.